Welcome to the Single Parent Podcast. Whether you've been a single parent for a while now or have just started on your journey, the Single Parent Podcast is a safe place for single parents to get some great information and resources, hear the stories of fellow single parents, and connect with a strong and supportive community. We want to help you go from surviving to thriving. So today we have Anna Adamar here, and she is from True Nature Psychology, and she is a registered psychologist. And uh, some of you may remember Anna from a previous episode where she shared her own story of uh, single parenthood. And uh, if you'd like to check that out, it's one of the previous episodes on our podcast list. So today, we'd love to hear more about um, Anna's work. So Anna, tell us a little bit more about what you do and how long have you been a psychologist? Well, I haven't been a psychologist so long in Canada, but I was a licensed psychologist in Denmark uh, for almost 10 years before I emigrated here. And then I had a little bit of a strange journey. I, I was allowed to practice here for a year and then I had to go back and do some exams. And so after four years, I'm finally a fully registered psychologist for the second time in my life. And I I work in many different ways and with many different clients. Like I, I work with children and adolescents, adults, couples. I've done a lot of family therapy too. I work also outside, hence my name, True Nature Psychology. I bring in nature, but I, I'm basically an all-rounder and got a lot of experience in different areas. Give us a sense of some of the biggest emotional obstacles that that face kids in particular during a separation and divorce. What are some things that that you've seen um, kids have to, having to go through? There are many different factors that play into how children um, move through a divorce, deal with a divorce, or not uh, deal very well with a divorce. What is most the most central factor? that influences children's uh, emotions and, and ability to, to cope with such a situation is obviously how the parents are dealing with it. So uh, one of the, the common sort of threads that you see is if, 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 the, if the parents are in a high conflict separation, um, are very distracted by their own emotional issues and not able to really be there for, the, for their children, then that's, that's the, the main factor that's going to negatively impact children's response during such a time. So it's actually been shown, research shows that, you know, that there are, there is such a thing as a happy divorce. There is such a thing as a harmonious divorce. And it's all to do with the level of conflict uh, between the parents or the level of harmony and uh, to do with whether the parents are able to maintain stability and safety for their children during that period. And then it seems that, you know, children can move through this quite, quite seamlessly and without too many issues. Some of the main issues I've seen are either externalizing behaviors, which would be look like acting out anger issues, delinquency, um, getting in with the wrong crowd, so to speak. And that, that happens to both boys and girls, but more often boys will, will react with, with externalizing behaviors but it can be girls too. And then there's internalizing behaviors, which will be, you know, depression, increase in anxiety, beginning to have issues with self-esteem, isolating themselves. So those are more internalizing behaviors. 
they're often just a result of, of course, there are different sort of aspects of that, but they're just usually a result of the parents are not managing it well themselves, right? They're not moving through it in an emotionally mature way. There is um, something called diminished capacity to parent. There's quite a few studies done on that. And it's shown that this happens to many couples when they go through a separation is that both the father and the mother experience a diminished capacity to parent for up to two years. And that's kind of, they're, they're so consumed by their own emotional struggles, their own wounding, their own pain, their own anger, their own fear, that they're unable to be present for their children, actually to see what their emotional needs of their own children are. And that obviously has a very damaging effect. So when parents go through that, especially that first two-year period, what are some things that parents can do to help cope with that and, and mitigate that? Because it, so- it sounds like it's you're going to go through it. And I know I went through it quite intensely. So um, what what are some things that parents can do to um, to kind of soften that so that they can be a bit more present for their kids? Firstly, knowledge, you like knowing that this is, you know, a dangerous time and, and, and um, how important it is to sort of be able to have resources, to be able to be emotionally available for your children, to be making wise choices. So, of course, self-care is going to be important having someone to journey with who's not your child right a lot of parents will lean on their children for emotional support or unwittingly the children will take on that role feeling responsible when they see their mother crying all the time or their father getting angry or whatever it is so it's taking that um, emotional self-care and that processing outside of the home you know it could be friends it could be a therapist it could be a community like like you're creating here. Um, so just dealing with that uh, and not involving your children, you know, taking the, taking the role of an adult, you know, taking responsibility to provide that holding space and that safe environment for your children. And that would also help you to be able to be accessible for your child's needs, right? If you're, if you're taking care of your own needs, elsewhere then you're able to meet up and be there for your children in in having conversations about how they're feeling or noticing what's going on and I think that's the part of the problem is in that diminished capacity to parent phase you know you're just so overwhelmed and stressed and hurt and angry that you just can't see what's going on because it's so it's just like you're, you're just in a turbulent you know field of suffering really <laughs> yeah right and then right. general self-care, you know, just the usual stuff. And, you know, are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting enough exercise? Are you, you know, are you making sure you have downtime? Are you, t- are you doing whatever it takes to keep you in balance? Yeah, and to not to be consumed by the, the, the drama of the situation, right? So just to follow up with that, because um, I've heard, I've heard some some advice and we'll call it advice I'm not sure if that's quite the right word for it but that it's okay for your kids to see you being emotional is there some validity to that and obviously not letting the floodgates open and using your children as emotional support but is there some benefit to your children seeing you release some emotions in a healthy way Uh, yeah Absolutely. But if we take it back to sort of a more fundamental ground, and that is if the child is feeling safe and secure and if they can see that you've 
got this to a certain extent, that there's not a lot of, you know, falling apart kind of crying or, or uh, arguments or expressing your rage at your ex, you know, that, that sort of thing is not good. But if they can see that you're basically moving through this and the child feels safe and secure in it, then I think, of course, to express, you know, s- sorrow and to share, you know, this is difficult for me. And, but in, in a way which is from, from a sort of emotional groundedness or stability so that the child doesn't consciously or subconsciously become distressed by that, take responsibility for that. I mean, it's a fine line. It really is a fine line. But yes, I, I, I get, of course, don't suppress, don't hide things away. But it's got to come from a ground of, I don't know, just emotional kind of maturity and taking responsibility and being a parent. I have a question too, actually. Um, so if you have a child who are showing some of those behaviors, like being isolated or maybe they're lashing out or they're angry and you've asked them maybe would you be open-minded to talking to someone who could give you some better advice like a psychologist <laughs> um what are your thoughts on that at like almost not pressuring but encouraging your children to speak out if they're feeling any of those behaviors or feelings that's a that's a really interesting question thanks for that and um i think there is this this kind of idea we have in society that if you have problems and universally it would be good to sort of talk to a therapist. But I think precisely in this kind of situation, it's not always the, the, the best use of those kind of resources. So I've worked a lot earlier with um, children, adolescents and families, and often parents would say, oh, could you talk to my daughter, for example, you know, she needs someone to talk to, but actually, no, that's not what the daughter wanted. The daughter wanted the mother and father, not, not explicitly, she didn't know this is what she wanted, but she wanted a mother and father to process this and to reach a place of stability in it. And, and that automatically would affect the whole family system. So often it's, it's more like I, I often was had children, adolescents referred to me and I ended up working with the parents, you know, even the, the, the separated parents, because that was the way, you know, this is a systemic way of looking at things. If we work to help the parents parent wisely and competently, we automatically help the children. And then all the research shows, you know, what is it that actually really, really causes problems for children in separation it's the level of conflict between the parents it's the level of insecurity they feel from the parents it's the messages they're getting it's the the lack of authoritative parenting you know the parents are being lax or or they're over or they're spoiling their children or they're becoming too harsh and authoritarian right it's all to do with the parents so i would say first and foremost the parents should work with themselves and, you know, get, you know, support in, in finding out how to communicate in, the, in an adult way. And then from then on, I think what the children need more is to be able to have like open conversations with their own parents about things and feel safe enough to say, oh, I'm finding it difficult that you guys argue all the time. You know, that would be more beneficial than someone going to a therapist. But of course, there are exceptions. There could be an exceptions where you have maybe, you know, some older teenagers that are perhaps having some real big struggles like cutting, you know, emotional dysregulation and 
and that's spilling out into problems with their peers and, you know, just general impact, you know, being very impacted from many years maybe of, of, of discord in their, in their family lives. And then that might be, you could say, in so those kind of situations, it might be useful to use a psychologist or a group therapy. But generally, I would say, especially if the children are young, it's the parents need therapy, not the children. How do you open a safe dialogue for your kids? How do you create that line of communication where they feel safe to come to you and talk to you about things? Well, back to what we just talked about. So if you're doing your own kind of work and you're processing it and you're able to resource yourself and then just being able to be present, like having enough resources to be present and available for your child in a calm, you know, collected way and asking open questions, not, not the kind of questions that shut children down, but just sort of curious, non-threatening questions and not trying to get them to express, not saying, oh, I know this must be so difficult for you, you must need to share, you know, <laughs> you know not, not trying to set the agenda, but more um, just having, de- developing a kind of um, an environment in your new home as a single parent where we sit together at the dinner table and we chat about the day and I'm here for you and I have resources and I'm not obviously falling apart. You know, <laughs> you know um, I think that's the best way. And then there's, there are also other methods, you know, you can get, you can draw with your children if they're smaller or one of the best ways of getting small children to open up is play and, and not that you should become your child's therapist. I'm not saying that, not at all. I'm just saying, get down onto the same level of your child and be present with them and move with them and help them, you know, for example, play out through dolls or sand or drawing. And then you say, oh, I noticed that that doll looks really angry. And you say, oh, yeah, that's daddy or something. No, I mean, you don't have to be the therapist, but you could just allow your child to open up in a different way if there is something that they want to share with you, it might not be like direct questioning that's going to get that to open. But again, don't be too insistent. Don't sort of project your own desire for healing and to get it right into a sort of like, you know, you become a pseudotherapist for your child. It's got to be natural. And I just say, just be present and, and make sure that you're doing everything you can so you can be present and available. Depending on the kids' ages, because my kids are 11 and um, almost eight now, would a more direct way of speaking to them be more appropriate for that age? Um, and, and the reason I'm asking is there are, you know, behaviors that I'm noticing and I want, I, and I don't, I like, I like how you're clarifying, but not leading the witness to use a legal term, you know, you don't want to, um, you know, put the idea in their head, but when they get a bit older like that, is a more direct approach something that is, safe to do when you say you know for example I noticed you seem really angry about this is this the only thing that's going on or are there other things going on because for you know sometimes it's a really small thing and there's a giant explosion of emotion so is is a more direct line appropriate as they get older or do you still need to kind of let them come to you I'd say generally as a rule of thumb, let them come to you because you've probably noticed that, you know, it's so easy for them to get triggered that they kind of, they, they know that you're on the trail of trying to work it out or something. And then they resist and close. Have, have you noticed that? 
No, actually, they're, my kids are pretty open about okay, talking that's about right. stuff. Okay. I had noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> noticed it. You, you recognize it. Yeah, of yes. course. All right, that's a wonderful example. It depends on the kid, depends on your relationship, depends on, of course, you know, like giving your children opportunity to express and, and helping them in that is good. But probably most of the time, there'll be a kind of like, you know, please don't touch this kind of thing. And then it's kind of more um, having that, developing a climate of easy togetherness, which is present and available. So not watching TV together, but just, talking about the day, asking open questions, doing homework together at the table, just just developing that kind of, or encouraging that culture of we share things, we're together in an easy way. And then I'm sure, and then there'll be some children who just will express everything to you because that's the nature of your relationship. It sounds, Christina, you have that with your children. And for sure, that's a lovely way of speaking. You know, I can see you're angry and is there anything else going on? And if your son responds to that, that's wonderful. A lot of children wouldn't respond very well to that, I imagine. But I say, no, mind your own business. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right with my almost 12 year old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's but, like you've been in Christina's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, of course. Yeah. It's, um, I, yeah, it's it, it's going to be different, but there there is that there can be a little bit too much of that trying to get children to express their emotions. So they feel almost sort of invaded by that. And I know, for example, my son did. My son was he 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 doesn't want to talk about emotions, but he wants me to be present and be there and have, you know, have a relaxed kind of easy togetherness and he's not suppressing his emotions. It's just the way he is. He doesn't want me to do that kind of eager mother that wants to heal everything thing. He finds it invasive, but then some would respond so beautifully to it. Uh, but younger children probably won't be able to do that. They'll be able to do it slowly through other forms. I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing all your, your knowledge and, um, coming on a second time to <laughs> to not only share your story but but share your knowledge as well. Like I just want to thank you so much for giving your time, and um, I think I speak for Christina and I when I say it's it's been a pleasure having you on. And um, where can people contact you? How can how can people yeah. get a hold of you? Well, I have a website um, called true-nature.ca. My physical sort of counselling offices in in Strathcona at the Roots on White Building. Um, I also do online sessions, and I'm planning to do more nature-based or outdoor forms of therapy, probably group therapy. I've done that a lot in Denmark, so I'm hoping to bring that in now here. I'll also be doing mindfulness courses, like the classic what's called mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is the evidence-based form of mindfulness training. So I'm going to be setting up some courses in the spring and the autumn with that. I'm also very interested in in finding some ways of supporting our teenage girls that are having troubles emotionally regulating and, you know, feeling really isolated and low self-esteem and maybe doing, you know, self-harming and just finding it really difficult to to, uh, thrive. And that's one of of the areas that's very close to my heart is, is those girls. I just wanted to talk about um, parenting styles after the divorce, like what it is to be an authoritative parent and how important that is. 
One of the things that they've you know, found in research is that after post-separation, post-divorce, that mothers tend to go in the way that they become less affectionate and more um, authoritarian, like, like demanding or yelling or um, that that can happen. And whereas single dads, especially those that don't have the custody, become more lenient and you know, buying stuff for the children and being a little bit boundaryless. And both of those are kind of toxic for children after a divorce, that they need what's called authoritative parenting. That's in contrast to authoritarian, which is the yelling, screaming um, rules on my way or the, the highway kind of parenting. So authoritative parenting is this very clear, these are the rules in our house, these are, bound, these are the boundaries, these are my expectations. And then at the same time, this kind of warmth and availability so that you know the, the 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 open heart and the accessibility, so that just time and time and time again, studies show that that's what creates balanced, well-functioning individuals, right? To have that kind of parenting, and you can you can do that as a single parent. Again, <laughs> it's a lot. It's, it's always on the parent. This is our, our um, this is what we sign up for when we have children this kind of eternal having to take the responsibility. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's, I would, I would encourage like single parents to really look into their parenting style and, and, and get support if they're finding, if they're finding, feeling challenged in that and overwhelmed in, you know, how can I, how can I be this kind of parent? And then the other huge key factor, and I mentioned it before, but I just can't say it enough times is harmony conflict between parents is the worst poison for children in the universe, right? Um, it affects their ability to have relationships later in life. It affects their self-esteem. It affects their emotional well-being. Do, do whatever you can, whatever it takes, even if it means laying down your pride in terms of being right or getting the money you think you deserve or whatever. I, I would I would appeal to parents in a, you know that truly I think truly being a good parent is being able to say I'm going to let go of these things because I really really want my child to experience that I can actually relate to my ex and that I don't I don't battle. And I don't act out in front of my children. Um, that's probably the best thing you could ever do for your child as a single parent. More important than saving up for their university, um, uh, whatever it's called, reserve, or or making sure they have you know a good education, or you know giving them treats or cuddling them, even all of that. If you can actually model how to have a relationship, even in difficulty, even in separation, even when it's really, really, really hard for you to, you know, <laughs> be that, that's probably the best gift you could give to your child. And we can sort of put that all in the context of there's something called emotional security theory about separation and divorce. And that, you know, it's just another way of saying what I just said now, that anything that creates that emotional security is, is, is beneficial. I, I just love that. It's really about security and attachment and yeah, and seeing the parents walk, walk it, you know, uh, through difficulty. I mean, these things probably sound obvious, but when you're in the throes of separation or post-separation, you just feel so awful that you kind of forget these things and or you don't have the resources. So, yeah, and I love the fact that you're making this, you know, that you're doing this single 
parent podcast thing because you know that's what parents single parents need they need education they need community they need support you know we need to be aware and awake so that we can actually really take care of our children I appreciate this so much too it was really eye-opening and I I feel like I learned a little bit today I learned me a little too bit. And I, I felt too. a little good. I gave myself a tap on the shoulder mentally a couple times. I'm like, yes, I'm getting there. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> we are all on this journey. Well, thank you again so much, Anna, for, for coming on. It was a real pleasure to have you here. Okay. Thank you. You can find more great episodes featuring helpful information and amazing stories by searching Single Parent Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or visit www.lifesongfilms.com and click podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, we're We're all all in in this together. together.